And like any good race, it comes to an end. And this morning we are officially coming to the end of this little mini race that we've been in uh, since the beginning of the year, looking at uh, this section of scripture from Matthew, often known as the Beatitudes. And uh, looking at the different phrases that Jesus had brought to his disciples when he started out in his earthly ministry and uh, understanding a little bit of this topsy-turvy world view. That everything that we think should make common sense, Jesus seems to sort of flip on its head and say, actually, the opposite is probably true. And, and even as we come to these last two phrases, I know Andrew and Rachel covered them a little bit as well last week. And these sort of two, two, three verses really needed to be meshed in together. So I might repeat a little bit of what Andrew and Rachel said. I did listen to what they said, um, uh, but uh, it's, it's important for us to get hold of it. And as we come to this, this last section, I, I want, it's hard to grasp persecution, I think, in modern day Britain, even, even for us. Um, what does that look like? I don't think many of us in this room really know what persecution is, is like. I think we, we, we are very fortunate and very blessed to be in a nation that is actually relatively stable, despite what you might think right now. We, you know, we, we're in here and really we have no fear that anybody's going to come and, and take us out. So as we come to these verses, it's hard for us sometimes to grasp what does it mean when Jesus talks about these things. So if you have your Bibles, and I purposely have not put this bit on the screen. Uh, lots of things will be on the screen this morning, but I haven't put the Beatitudes on the screen. Because uh, it's good just sometimes to remind us to get our Bibles open. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you have a physical Bible with you or if you have it on your phone, uh, that's absolutely fine. But just get, get the words in front of you if you possibly can or if you can't see and then peer over your neighbor's shoulder. I'm sure somebody near you will have them. Um, well done from the front road. Naughty, naughty, naughty. OK, I'm going to read them out. I'm going to read it out and just remind us on this last occasion of what we're looking at. So Matthew 5. Jesus is on the mountainside. He's about to speak to his disciples and the crowds are gathering around and he says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We hear Jesus' words and we think, well, actually, what does that look like for me? What is he trying to say? And I think as we come to God's word, there are bits that we just like, okay, Jesus, what is this all about? Well, I think one thing we can say is that Jesus talks a lot about persecution. Uh, it, so it shouldn't be really a big surprise that in some degree or another, we might expect that in our lives as we follow him to some degree or another. I think also we can say we never know how far off we are as a people from real persecution. We don't know. At the moment, we are living in a relatively peaceful environment, and yet sometime down in the future, we may come into a time where persecution is perhaps a bit more in our face. And so it's good for us to prepare ourselves, even if it's not happening right now, to understand exactly what might happen. I do think that the level of uncomfortableness for us as Christians in our culture is changing. I think if you think back, even in my young life, life look, you know, the world looks different, doesn't it? Even this morning, as we as we are driving in, in into to come into church, they were talking about um, uh, the these guys who've been on this Love Island television program who have sadly taken their lives since they came out. And it was a news report, and basically the point they were making is that even though these reality TV shows have been going on for some time, we now live in a world that is instant, 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 and, and our views are position in life, our understanding of who Jesus is, what he means to us, is more exposed in one sense than it was even 10 years ago, even 20 years ago. You know, if you put something on your Facebook profile that I did this and God is this and the other, suddenly you are in an environment that wasn't around 10 years ago. Suddenly you're proclaiming something to a world that perhaps you didn't do 10 years ago. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying the culture that we live in is changing all the time. So as we come to these verses, there are these things that are happening around us that we need to uh, take hold of. Now, I think there are three questions I three, four, three questions that I want to just for us to consider this morning. So firstly, why are Christians persecuted? How did Jesus expect his followers to react when? Uh, persecution came? And what warnings did Jesus give about negative reactions to persecution? So that's negative reactions in terms of us being negative towards the negative views towards us. Does that make sense? So not just being negative about persecution, but how do we react negatively when persecution comes our way? So let's answer that, uh, ask that first question. Why are Christian believers persecuted? Well, the first thing I want to say to you, it's not personal. It's not personal to you. All right? It's not all about you. It's about what you stand for, what you believe. It goes way beyond you, and it's been happening for hundreds of years. So as we come in 2019 thinking people don't think very well of me because I'm a Christian, well, actually, you just join a whole group of people who have thought exactly the same thing through the centuries. 
It's not new. Jesus told us this would happen. This is what he said in John chapter 3. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This is what Jesus says about why Christians are persecuted. This is his verdict that light has come into the world. So he's talking metaphorically. He's talking about himself coming into this dark world. He is the ultimate light. He is the pure light that has broken into something that was incredibly dark. And the light that came was willing to stand in our place on the cross and take our sin. We sung about it this morning. Take our sin, take our darkness. And there is no greater expression of a light coming into darkness than Jesus himself coming into this world. As Jesus came and has come, how have people responded to this light that's come? They've rejected him. They don't want the light because the light suddenly shines into the darkness and reveals all the secrets of the darkness. And people reject that light because of that. Now, as people do that, as we do that, we actually, there's probably things in our lives that actually we don't want exposing, if we're absolutely honest. Probably every one of us in this room perhaps has had something, has something, something that you follow, something that you enjoy, and you don't want it to be exposed. You don't want the light to be shone on that thing. And when people start to shine light on that thing, our reaction could be very negative. It could be, well, I don't want you to shine light on that thing. I don't want you to stop me or tell me to do what I'm doing is wrong. I'm willing to continue in case, even if there's fallout because the darkness is attractive. It's, it's something that we get pulled towards. But when light comes on it, we don't want people to see it. If we're honest, we want to say, shut off that light. I don't want you to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. And yet as Jesus comes, as he shines his light on us, it exposes our sin. So in darkness, sin breathes. There's a thing in buildings that's called dry rot. And dry rot is a, is a bad thing for buildings to have. And dry rot only grows in specific circumstances. It needs two things. It needs warmth and it needs moisture. And it happens in things like this floor where it's dark, it's moist, there's no ventilation, there is no light, and yet it will just grow and grow and grow. And if you've ever been in a building that's had dry rot, you can smell it, but you take off the floorboards and you will find fungi growing everywhere and it destroys everything in its path. 
It needs timber, but it can live in brickwork. And we've just had a, we've just had a job in my office where we thought we had dealt with dry rot. Or they thought it was prior to my time, about ten years ago, and it's just come back. You give it the right circumstances, you give it the right environment, and it will grow. And that's like our sin. If we're in the dark, when no light is shining, things can just happen. But when light comes, it exposes our sin. Now, the good news is that you and I are called to be light bearers. This is the good news. We are called to be light bearers to this world. And because we're called to be light bearers, we will face opposition. We will face people saying things about us because of who we are, because of who we believe in, because of what Jesus has done for us. We are to bring light into a very dark world. Jesus was the ultimate light of the world. He called himself that. I am the light of the world. But in this section of scripture, in this passage of Matthew, as he says all he says about persecution, the next verse, verses in Matthew, talk about now you are the light of the world. You are to be what I am. That's what Jesus is saying. You are to come into this world and shine the light just as I have shine, shone light to the world itself. And the problem with light and dark is that they are irreconcilable positions. You can't mix light and dark. It just doesn't happen. Even this morning, we were having problems with one of the lights. We want light. And when light comes, it ex extinguishes darkness. You can't be in a pitch black room, light a candle, and not be affected by the light of the candle. The darkness can't overcome this light. Now, these two positions while they are irreconcilable, will always conflict against one another. And there are two view, worldviews that are going on at this point. There is the earthly worldview of where man in himself decides what is right and what is the right way to live. And then there is what the Bible says and what Jesus says. And they are light and dark and they will come and clash against each other. They have nothing in common. So as we live our lives, we will find, to some greater or lesser extent, that we will come up against people who have different views to us and how we see things. In one sense, we will attract opposition. You've found that. Just discussions with your neighbours or work colleagues or family, whatever it is. We just seem to attract it. There's people in my family, if I talk about these things, it just seems to not bring peace, but it seems to just raise the ante, and it's hard. It's just the reality. You see, if you go around to most people, maybe not so much now, but certainly a few years ago, and you say to them, hey, are you a Christian? A lot of people in our nation would have said, yeah, yeah, no, I'm a Christian. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. So do you follow God? Do you, you know, do you walk with Jesus? Oh, no, no, I don't do that, but I am a Christian. You see, it's, it's almost a daft question to ask people now, is, are you a Christian? But I guess a good question would be is, are you a light bearer? What does that mean? 
Well, that's the reality. It's, it's, it's not just the name. It's actually who I am. This is my identity in Christ. I've become a light bearer to the world that I live in. Is my life a godly life? I can be a Christian, but I could be living an ungodly lifestyle. Am I expressing the values that Jesus has called me to express, even in these statements through Matthew 5? See, as godly, light-bearing people, we are to live a completely different way. We are to live in a, in a, a march beat that is different to what the world is marching to. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Matt Chandler, who leads a church in the, in the States, he often talks about coffee cup verses. Uh, you've probably heard me say about these before. You know, you get lots of nice coffee cup verses, don't you? Sort of, you know, for the plans I have for you, that's a nice verse. I could do all things in Christ. That's a nice verse. Okay, here's our coffee cup verse for the week. When you go home, put this on your coffee cup. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, hallelujah, will be persecuted. But that is the reality. That is the world that we live in. We can't get away from it, so we have to be prepared for it. Have I accepted the light? Have I made Jesus the Lord of my life? Hopefully, most of us in this room will say yes and amen to that question. But that is not it. Am I living a life worthy of the gospel? Worthy of this calling that he's placed on my life? Am I living in a way that portrays this to the world that I live in? That's the question. Praise God, when people come to know Christ, they will be with us when we go to glory. But there's so much more to the Christian life than just that moment, as we've, most of us in this room probably have already experienced. The world wants to extinguish life out of us. That's what it's trying to do. But we are light bearers, and light bearers overcome the darkness. Hallelujah. So that's why we experience persecution. How does Jesus, secondly, then, want his followers to react? Remember, it's an upside down world view. Not upside down world, it's an upside down world view. It is an upside down world, but it's an upside down world view that Jesus has. How does he want us to react? What does he say? I think Andrew and Rachel picked up on this a little bit last week. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Now, I would love to say to you this morning, guys, this is what the reward looks like. I would love you to know that because persecution comes because of your relationship with Jesus, this is the reward you're going to get. Except I can't tell you what that looks like. It's like if you've ever done it. Uh, with your family, uh, you know, over the years, I've done different things with, with kids and with Catherine. And I've got, I've got a surprise for you. I've got a surprise. What is it? Well, I'm not actually telling you. I'm not going to tell you until we get there. Or gonna, and it's like, I've still had this little mini battle, whereas I love to do surprises. They like surprises, but they want to know what the surprise is. 
And so we have this little bit of tension of between the now and the not yet. But it's hard to get excited about something when you don't quite know what it is. But for me, as the person giving the surprise, I'm really excited and they're just sort of trying to catch up. It's a little bit like this with the rewards in heaven. What does it look like? We're not quite sure. And it's not being a sense of obnoxiousness about us. Think, hey, look at me. I'm going to get some reward because I've got some persecution coming my way. That's what Jesus, he doesn't reward us like that, does he? What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. There is something still for us to yearn after, knowing that God, you've got something. God is good. He's got good gifts for us. He loves us. He's for us. He wants to encourage us. And I think even those things enough alone should be enough to help us know that whatever the reward looks like, however big my crown is compared to your crown, your crowns will be much bigger. I won't be jealous because that's not in heaven. It's, you know, whatever it looks like, we know it's good. We know it's good. And that's why I think he, he wraps these verses up in this way, that we are to react in a way that, Lord, even in persecution, even when people pull me away and say things about me because of you, Lord, I know somehow you see those things. We should be encouraged when it happens. Thirdly, take a little bit more time on this one. What warnings then did, does Jesus give us about negative reactions to persecution? So our negative reactions to when persecution comes. Let's read verse 13 and 14 together. These couple of verses after the Beatitudes into the next sort of part of this. Of course, it wouldn't have been divided up on the Sermon in the Mount anyway, would it? He would have just carried on, but our Bible split them up a little bit. These are the next verses that he says to us. Guys, you're going to be persecuted. Rejoice. You believers, Weymouth Family Church, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people put a lamp, just think how stupid this is, put a lamp under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to the, everyone in the house. Critical point. In the same way, let your light before others, shine your light before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now you find it interesting that right after the verses of persecution, he tags these two statements on. See, when, temp when persecution comes, temptation kicks in to withdraw from that persecution. We want to get away from, I don't want people to say that stuff about me. I like to be liked. I want people to like me. I want you to like me. I want to like you. You want to like each other. We all want to be liked. 
don't we? We do. We, we in our in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, we want to be people that people like. And because of that, because I know that's what I'm a bit like, that actually when it gets a bit tough and people start saying some awkward things, I thought, okay, I'll just back back a little bit. We'll just go for a little sort of lower common denominator. Actually, it's a temptation to do that. When people say to you, you're so self-righteous as a Christian, how could you even think that? Isn't that judgmental? We actually just want to turn the light off and it makes us feel like the bad guy. Doesn't it? it makes us feel like we're being bringing condemnation to people because of what we believe. Now, Jesus knows this. And he gives this example of being salt. Now, salt is always salt. It, can never, it can't not be salt, even though Jesus is trying to make a picture out of it. Salt is always going to be salt. And I'm, apparently, chemically, it can never be unsalted. It's just not possible. That's not the point Jesus is making. He's not making a scientific point here. He's making a point that the salt will always be salty. And salt has, as you know, many great things in terms of what it can do. Apparently, it was used to be used for way before refrigeration. It could, you, you put your put of meat in all this salt and it could preserve it for, for, for months. If your refrigerator at home now breaks down while we're out this morning and you go home, you'll find sort of a big pool of water on the floor and all your food's gone off almost instantly, isn't it? You've got to chuck it away. But salt has a purpose. It's a preservative. And we are called to be that salt in this world, that we aren't to lose our saltiness. We have this preservative role against sin. It's who we are. It's our identity. Our identity is that I will always be salty because of my life in Jesus. It's not I'm Steve the surveyor. You know, how are you? I'm well. What's your job? Oh, I'm this, I'm that. That's my identity. This is who I am. I'm a midwife. I'm a bus driver. Whatever it is, that's not our identity. That's just what we do. Our identity is that we're salty. We are salt people. And we have a world around us that is decomposing. And we're to bring our saltiness into that world. That's not to say what you do isn't important. It is important. Whatever your role in life is, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're retired, God's put us in these places so that we can be salty. But it's not our identity. Our identity is in him. Our life should be a reflection of the kingdom. Somehow in how I do my job, in how I am with people around me on a day-to-day basis, should reflect something of him. How I deal when a client rings me up and has a go at me down the phone. How I respond is a reflection of Jesus. And then this whole illustration of this lamp. It's just, in our world, it's sort of hard to understand, but because back in Jesus' day, they would have just had this oil, oil-filled lamp. And they would have had very dark rooms, and this lamp would have been the center of the room to bring illumination. And so when he gives this illustration of putting a bucket over there, a bowl over the top of the lamp just to kill the light, which is just crazy. Why would anybody light a lamp and then put a bucket over it? It's madness. 
But as believers, that's what we do. This is awkward. I'll put my bucket over my lamp just for the moment. We bend to the pressure of the world. And I, when I, I'm talking about myself as much as anybody. We bend to what the world says to me is right. But yes, 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 lamp, bucket, switch it off. There is a doctrine of tolerance in our society that won't stand up for what is right. The world defines tolerance as never asserting any belief or conviction that opposes any other belief or conviction. We just live in a tolerant world that everybody has their view and everything is right and it's all this sort of mushy, mushy, life is good. But when Jesus came, he broke into the tolerant mindset. He said this. No, he didn't say that. All that. Well, he did say that. He said this. We've already read that. I've got to put on that. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You say that to a world that honors tolerance and say, you believers, you are utterly intolerant. How can you say that? How can Jesus say that? He's not just a way. He's not just a truth. He's not just a life. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. He is the only way. But we say that to a, a world that has heuristic mindset of every road leads to God and you find your way. And hopefully all your ducks will be lined up, all your eggs will be in one basket. You've dotted all your I's and crossed every T and any other metaphor you can think of. And hopefully the scales will balance out and somehow God will welcome you. That's not what Jesus says. It's an intolerant statement, but it's the truth. How we handle those things is so important. This is what um, Tozer wrote. He's a, a well-known theologian. He says this, I can only say, let us be tolerant wherever we can be. And let us be charitable toward all those we cannot tolerate. But let us not imagine for a minute that we are called upon to take a top-of-the-fence stand never knowing exactly what we believe. Let me just say that again. I can only say, let us be tolerant wherever we can. Let's love people. Let's honor people. Let's stand beside people who have different views to us. Let's be charitable to them. Let's love them. Let's be full of grace towards them. But let us not for a moment imagine that we are called to be top of the fence, take a top of the fence stand, never knowing exactly what we believe. What that means for you and I is that up to a point, we can love people for where they are, but there will be a tipping point where actually we have to say, I don't 
agree with that. Because this is what Jesus has said. In that moment, which we have all faced to some degree or another, we are called to stand fast, even if it gets us in trouble. Jesus said, when they hate you, remember, they hated me. He knew more than anyone what this looked like. He was rejected by man, suffered in just the most inexplicable manner for nothing that he had done. When they hate you, remember, they hated me first. Friends, we are called to be bearers of the family name. We are family, and we bear his name. Peter, when he was writing to the early believers, he wrote this in his letter. He said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God's rest on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. You bear the family name. There is no servant who's greater than his master. Don't be ashamed. This is totally normal for the believer. We don't react negatively to persecution when it comes. This is Totally normal. Blessed are you when you are persecuted, because yours, hallelujah, is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Guys, if you want to um, come back. What I'd love us to do, um, just not so much in response to what I've said, but in response to who he is. It's not about my words. It's about understanding who Jesus is. And, and if anything, let's reflect on his amazing light that has come into this world, that has shone into our lives, 
that has revealed the truth to our hearts, knowing that whatever situation we find ourselves in this morning, good, bad, different, challenging, rejoicing, expectant, whatever it may be, as believers, we have received grace upon grace from heaven. And as we've received this grace upon grace, that's the grace of the law that came first and then the grace of Jesus who fulfilled the law. That's what John's talking about. As we receive grace upon grace, we then become his light bearers. We become his salt pots to this world. And I want us just as us to come into a sense of response in worship to thank him first. But then as we worship, we're asking him, God, would you strengthen us in our daily walk with you? That we would be light bearers, that we would not just know that Jesus has saved us, but we would live lives that would bring light into this world around us. Just as the guys were sharing about what happened yesterday, that is just one way of reaching people. Every moment of every day when we meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus is an opportunity for the gospel. Whether it's something you say, whether it's the way that you act, whether it's the blessing that you bring, they are all moments for saltiness and lamp shining moments. And so, Father, we thank you for your amazing goodness to us. You've given us so much. Lord, you came as the ultimate light into this dark, sin-ridden world. You brought light into something that could not save itself. You came to save us. You brought heaven amongst us. We already sung that this morning. And as you brought your light, Lord, you've called us now to be light bearers. And so this topsy-turvy kingdom lifestyle you've called us to, when the world would say, you're nuts and you're crackers, Lord, we just say we're so grateful that we know you. We're so thankful that you broke into our hearts. And Lord, even if those around us say things about us because of you, Lord, you've told us we will be blessed because the kingdom of heaven is ours. But Lord, we want to extend it to those around us. We want to see, Lord, our town, our nation, our world impacted by this amazing gospel. God, would you keep coming on us, strengthen us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together, eh?